Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock, and all month long, we are talking to entrepreneurs who are pretty darn elite in what they do. And this is not only to give us new ideas, new uh, things to think about, but really to challenge us to be better in what we do, and not just as entrepreneurs, but as business people in the world. I'm really excited about this guest. She's going to challenge us in a lot of ways, and I can't wait to hear what she has to say. So now, hopefully, I also won't screw up her last name. So Dr. Paula Caligiuri is a professor of international business at Northeastern University. She's also been named one of the most prolific authors in international business for her work in cross-cultural management, global leadership development, and cultural agility, which is what I really can't wait to dive into because you all know that I like to talk about how we can become a smaller world by looking out there and taking care of each other. Now, she has a few other things. She's a president of Tasca Global, which is a consulting firm that specializes in assessing and developing culturally agile professionals and boasts a client list that includes Oh, just a few little places like, you know, the U.S. Army, the Peace Corps, Cigna, 3M, Johnson & Johnson, just to name a few. And if she looks familiar, she's also a frequent guest on CNN and CNN International. Imagine that. An author of LinkedIn learning course called Managing Globally. She has a new book. You know, she's got a lot out there, but Build Your Cultural Agility, the Nine Components competencies of successful global professionals. And she is joining me today from a lovely looking uh, space in, uh, in Boston, I'm assuming is where she is, because I know that's where she lives. So Paula, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Michael. And this is actually the old Baker chocolate factory. So I'm living in <laughs> Oh my God, I love that so much. It's a cool <laughs> I would just want to have chocolate scented candles going all day long. <laughs> Sometimes just to mess with people, I will, right? <laughs> it's gorgeous. Well, um, you know, I hit some of the highlights of your bio um, and I'm really excited, like I said, to, to learn even more from you because I'm a big component proponent of making sure we are culturally agile as individuals, but I know you're going to be able to open my eyes to much more. So tell us a little bit more about you, your business and how you help people and companies to shock their cultural potential. Sure, sure. So uh, ever since I was in college, um, my story doesn't is not all that elegant. I, I was I'm a blue collar kid from Buffalo, New York, for those members of your audience who are in the United States. It's not a particularly mm -hmm. elegant place to be from. But I studied abroad in Rome, Italy uh, in 1987. Unfortunately mm. for me, the market crashed while I was in Italy. And uh, while the other American kids called home and mom and dad sent money, mine said, sweetheart, get a job. So while I was in Rome, I mean, no, nobody would feel sorry for me, but I was, I was working while I was there and I couldn't really travel because I didn't have the money. So my experience became very, um, very Italian. 
So when I returned back to, to Buffalo to finish my degree, the some psychology professors back then said, Paula, if this was so important to you and so developmental for you, why don't you study what happened to you? So I just felt really different. I felt like I was, I was, I don't know, I felt I felt like there was more that I was more. I was something was different. Um, anyhow, fast forward, I ended up doing my PhD in psychology, as you mentioned. Um, my degree is around, uh, my, my PhD rather is around what makes people effective living and working internationally and how they change from deep developmental cross-cultural experiences. And I joke that that was on my grad school application, but that's what I wanted to study. 30 <laughs> years later, I am still <laughs> doing the exact same thing, but I've just been blessed with a, a, a much, um, a much wider audience now to talk about how we become effective living and working in different countries and how do we become effective working with people from different cultures and those cultures can be generational it can be professional it can be national it could be anything really gender um mm-hmm. right. with people who are demographically different so that, that's my that's my goal is to help people get really good at this <laughs> You know, it's interesting um, because as you were talking, I was thinking about a good friend of mine. He um, got an expat assignment to move to Singapore. And this was, so it was supposed to be a a two-year assignment, I believe. And it turned it, maybe it was supposed to be three and it turned into four or two that turned it. Anyway, the pandemic uh, hit while they were over there and, you know, supposed to be done. So it has lasted a whole other long year. Um, and it was interesting because uh, I actually went and visited them uh, when I had some business in Singapore and they'd been there for a year or so at that time. And, you know, I was asking them what's it like to live here. And, you know, it's one thing to be a tourist or, you know, go there for a business for a short term. And, um, and they loved it and they, you know, they loved being able to go lots of places. But then when the pandemic hit and they were so completely isolated and couldn't go anywhere and really literally stuck on this island, it was amazing the difference that that experience had for their view, not of Singapore in a bad way, but for, you know, just a, a completely different experience. And I remember thinking as they were telling me this, that, gosh, what a shame to have lost so much of a chunk of time to be able to continue to be immersed. It must feel very isolated and you don't know quite how to exist. Yeah. You know, there's another, another dimension of, of that story and certainly felt by everybody in our world, right? Over, yeah. over COVID. Um, but when humans are under any position of stress, any, mm-hmm. any sense of anxiety, we tend to cling to familiar. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the time when and I obviously don't know your friends, but, but it's kind of the time where they probably most wanted to be surrounded by loved ones and, and right. to be in the place that was most comfortable. So that you almost had the extra isolation of being, you know, we were all isolated, socially isolated, but then being removed from things that were familiar. But, right. but it's, it's interesting because that happens a lot in every, every context that's anxiety producing. Yeah. And then you add, you know, 11, 12 hour time difference and you've really got a mess on your hands. Right. <laughs> so now let me um, dive into this a little deeper because, you know, it, let's, let's just take somebody that's going to go work internationally. You know, mm-hmm. I think, I hope we all know by now that if you're going to go do business in another country, you should, you know, look up things like how do you hand your business card and what do you say? And what are a few things that you should know in that language? But what are some things that people don't think about when moving to or living or working in another, um, you know, another culture that when you help them to recognize it, they go, oh, wow, that changes my experience. 
Yeah. Oh gosh, uh, there's a lot here. So, so the you know the the whole you know how do you exchange business cards? How do you greet? How do you do that? That's all the very basic stuff. Yeah. If you think about cultural agility, I almost want to think about it in in two ways. You want to think about awareness. So mm-hmm. the awareness of of you know what's the proper etiquette and flow and norms and things that that you just named, um, but also awareness of values. And those are a little harder to see in a world where, you know, cosmopolitan reality where we tend to dress similarly, you know, using English for business contexts and things. We forget that there are deeper value differences and that sometimes those can be um, the biggest challenge for people in a, in a multicultural environment, those deeper values. But even that, that the cultural awareness piece, that's only half of the equation. The other half is the competencies needed in order to be successful. So those are the things like um, tolerance of ambiguity. In other words, not making yourself rush really quickly to a conclusion when you go into Singapore or wherever you might be. Um, Humility, the the ability to say, I'm really good at what I do, but I don't know how to do it here in this context. Resilience, perspective taking, relationship. So there's, there's competencies that are critical. Uh, for being effective in another country. So, so what I always encourage people to do is certainly build that awareness, but build that awareness, not only of the superficial things, but the much deeper, the values, and then also build concurrently, build those competencies. Um, and, and that's usually the people who are the most successful. I think that, you know, there's a lot of lessons there that can be um, transferred into, you know, just going from a company to company, maybe not even to another, you know, literal culture, but a different work culture that that ability to know, okay, just because what I did over here, I was successful. Doesn't mean I can just pick that up and plop that down here without trying to understand the culture and then try to uh, navigate that, you know, with what I know, but also being, I guess, not just aware of, but respecting that other culture. Oh, Michael, that, that is so correct because what what we have to remember, culture is socialized. We're not we're not born with culture. We all have our unique cultural values as a function of the family we were raised in, where we were raised, our educational system, our religion, the sports we played, the companies that we've joined, the um, the, the profession that we're in. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on, and and that all has had each one of those have had some type of socializing effect on our lives. So we all know that when we go into another organization, we have to realize that that organization has its own set of norms and values um, and behaviors and, and yeah, it, it might yeah. not work. It might Absolutely. Not work. And there, there comes the, uh, the humility there <laughs> to say, okay, right. That's not working. Let's try that again. Well, I know oh, and the tolerance of ambiguity to be able to say, I need to learn it right before I yeah. can, before I can jump right in with, with making a, a judgment. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, we were talking briefly before we started taping too about, you know, we're living in this, this global world that's, you know, has so much more remote opportunity now. So even if you physically might not be in a, in a different country, um, or even just even if you might still even move within your organization, but we are now seeing people able to work remotely from all parts of the world, but that's also going to cause some growing pains, I think, for individuals and businesses. You know, how can you, how do you help or how do you help uh, highlight with companies how they can navigate that to maybe reduce some of the challenges that, that come with cultural differences 
in a remote environment. You know, tech is making it worse, not better. Everyone assumes, oh, it's so easy now. I can talk to my colleague in Singapore and India in wherever um, just by clicking on the Zoom link. Wow, isn't this great? What a small world we're in. Actually, what's, at, what, what's happening is because we're doing it so quickly and with such ease, we're forgetting that we need to attend to a lot of the, the cultural cues, just like we would if we were in person, except now we don't have the benefit of the reminder of the, you know, long plane ride, <laughs> the, you know, all the things that yep. sort of triggered the I'm going to someplace that's different with a different set of rules and cultural norms. So, so actually what's happening is it's kind of masking the need for cultural agility because we're doing it with, at such a, such a fast pace. But I'll tell you, I've, I've watched countless meetings where um, individuals from different cultures, they're just, some of it's communication, some of it's just misinterpretation of body language, of, um, I, you know, I, just a silly example, but it's, it's, it's one that's front of mind, you know, Americans were pretty informal. And so we, we're, we also like our efficiencies, right? So if it's a morning meeting for us, evening meeting or afternoon meeting in Europe, you know, we could be eating our breakfast cereal, having a conversation, <laughs> you know, with a colleague where, and we could be in our, our sweats and our yoga pants where, you know, a colleague might be a little more formally dressed. It's midday and they're, they're in this kind of more of a formal professional mindset. Um, it, it's things like that, that, that we don't realize just will trigger perceptual differences that we have to be careful with. It's so true. I've learned a lot. I told you before, also, we started taping that my whole team is in Kenya. And what's really interesting, how much I've learned over the last couple of years uh, of working with, uh, with all, all of these incredible people is that, you know, I just keep thinking, well, they're, you know, they're, they're just other people. I know them. I've worked with them long enough. Well, you know, once I spend time, I understand that, you know, I'm learning a little bit more about the work environment, for instance, in Kenya, which there's not a whole lot of teamwork that goes on in a lot of businesses there. There's a lot of uh, competition for jobs. So, you know, and here I'm like, okay, we're one big happy team. Everybody helps <laughs> each other. And everybody's like, what do you mean? Everybody, what? If I ask for help, maybe that means that I can't do my job. And I'm like, no, everybody's got a part to play. Everybody knows everything. And finally, you know, it took me several months with my full team that I have now to stop and say, okay, you guys, wait, what's going on? You know, if you need help, you've got all these other people around. And one of my, one of my uh, gals said, you know, we just don't tend to trust each other that much. And we are doing it now with you. We've not we don't typically experience that. And first of all, I was like, oh, it made me feel horrible inside that that would be a work environment. But it was such a great re uh, revelation to me to say, okay, so how can I facilitate that sense of teamwork a little faster with people, not run them over with it and scare them with it, but how can I help transition them into our team where we work very much together? It takes thought and it takes intention. Yeah. But Michael, what you did it is a great example. I call it cultural minimization. It's saying, look, it is part of wealth creation for my organization, as part of the mission of my organization. I need this group of individuals to trust, collaborate, communicate effectively with one another, share, share information fluidly with one another, not withhold and not sort of squirrel it away. And then what you did is that the colleague of yours who shared with you, you know, you're sort of going against a cultural norm here and you saying, okay, I can be respectful of that. And I'm obviously I'm putting words in your mouth, you know, using my own, I'll say, 
but you still had to do something that was counterculture. And we mm -hmm. see that all the time yeah. in organizations that are successful globally. Sometimes they have to they have to be culturally agile enough to recognize the cultural difference, humble, have you know, tolerant of ambiguity, blah, blah, blah. But then once they see it and know it and understand what's different, the value that's different, then sometimes the answer is not adapting. So in your case, it wasn't saying, okay, everybody, hold on to your information, don't share it. We completely right. will reward people one, one to one. Uh, it, it's not that. It was saying, okay, I, I get it, but now we're gonna need to override it. So what can I do to help make this more right. comfortable? And yeah. that's that's what I'm seeing. It, it's really with, with great culturally agile professionals, they know when to adapt, they know when to culturally minimize like you did, but they also know when to to integrate, saying, okay, look at let's just cut, let's create something completely new that's uniquely right. our own. Right. I love it. Uh, Paula, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're gonna learn a little bit more about your entrepreneurial journey. Have you ever considered hiring a virtual assistant but didn't know where to start? Let Kukua Biz help. Kukua Biz matches talented professionals from Kenya with small businesses around the globe. Affordable weekly rates allow you to have a dedicated full-time staff member to help you with anything from administrative tasks, social media management, public relations, and more. Go to kukuabiz.com today for more information or email info at kukuabiz.com. Kukua Biz, that's K-U-K-U-A. B-I-Z dot com. And we are back with Dr. Paula Caligiri. And um, I, I think it's, it's so fun to talk about being more aware of everybody. And, and I think you brought this up in the beginning too. Culture is one thing, but it's also, you know, we've got different, you know, obviously we have different races, different cultures, but we have different genders. We have different backgrounds. We have, uh, you know, now we're using uh, pronouns, you know, to be able to describe ourselves better. We're, we are in this point, I think that's really exciting in our world. Well, at least in the U S where, you know, I, I know there's other countries that are moving along fast as, you know, kind of as fast as we are too, but others that aren't, but, you know, to be able to look at ourselves and see the value of differences. Um, you know, when you go work with an organization, so this is before I learn about your journey, when you work with organizations, um, how, how many out there are, are really embracing all these differences and, and using them as a competitive advantage. I mean, are, are most people going there? Are some people going there? Are some people going kicking and screaming? <laughs> Boy, it's, it's that one's a really hard to ask. It's a hard one to estimate on who's doing it well, which I mm. think that's your question. Um, because a lot of companies, I think across the board, everyone now is, every company is saying, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion are our primary drivers for strategic growth. And we believe in, you know, it's core, core to our values and da, 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 da. I'm hearing a lot of it. Um, frankly, I'm very concerned that the, the sort of evidence of it that they point to is that, oh, we're doing unconscious bias training. Mm. I am out there in every venue that will have <laughs> me saying, please, I beg of you, stop unconscious bias training, because psychologically what that does is it helps us basically, it introduces us to our limbic systems. We all have them based on the stored data, however old you are. Congratulations, you have a functioning brain. That's all it's doing. <laughs> That's all it's doing. It's not a bias. It's a brain. 
So all it's doing is saying, congratulations, you have a brain. Most of us don't process unconsciously though. We actually, we, we make decisions with our, our prefrontal cortex. <laughs> we make decisions consciously. And that's where the cultural agility piece comes in. So I think for, for what I'm seeing in organizations, everybody claims to value it. Everyone claims it's part of their, you know, their strategic mission. Um, but I wish companies would really spend more time thinking about building cultural agility as opposed to just offering this, this training because everyone else is doing it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like sexual harassment training, you know? So you, you have a company, you have an issue with somebody, then all of a sudden everybody has to have sexual harassment training and it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, always fix the systemic issue. It just is a box to check off to say, but we gave everybody training and everybody signed off on it. <laughs> but but think about what the backlash of what happened after all the sexual harassment training. Absolutely. And then stop talking to women. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to be perceived as I'm scared to, I'm scared to interact. And it's the yeah. same thing. It's like, well, I just found out I have a bias. I don't want to talk to somebody who's demographically different. My bias might show. It's like, come on. That's a really good point. That's oh, such a great point. And it's because it's critical to how we build cultural agility. We find similarities with, with people who we don't know. Any similarity, anytime we go there, we, we bond with people around, um, around similarities. And, and the only way we go there is through authentic conversations. So the last thing companies should be doing is setting up anything structurally that keeps people from having natural conversations. So, so please, if for the organizations out there, please stop unconscious bias training. I totally agree. And as you said that, I was like, yeah, my husband's like, yeah, I will no longer ever compliment a woman on her new hairdo or dress right. or whatever, because I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying it incorrectly. And I'm like, that is sad, but I get right? it. <laughs> Totally. So Paula, what, uh, you know, you, so you have a really unique journey of, you know, your career, um, your businesses, your work as a professor, your books, your speaking, but what, what really uh, helped you on your entrepreneurial journey? What's some of your, you know, the secret to your success, do you think? Um, for me, everything sort of Fit. So my, my initial research was on what made people successful internationally. My first product was a, a tool called Sage. It's just called the Self-Assessment for Global Endeavors that helped people make decisions about whether they were going abroad. The product turned into consulting, the consulting turned into keynoting. Um, but what's how it's evolved since though is really exciting. Um, my God, I, I think probably even you know, very much more recently um, that you might not even know, we recently formed a company called Skillify. Um, my co-founder is an angel investor and he, his heart completely is, is beating around making people effective in a multicultural environment. And he basically, he was great. He came and said, Paula, your stuff is way too important to just sort of have the clients that come to you benefit from it. So let's create a public benefit corporation where we put information out there for free, assessments out there for free, resources out there for free, um, and then we'll, we'll you know we'll, we'll basically build out the rest of the company from that. So the company is is actually it, it's it's kind of a fun name. It's called Skillified, um, but it's S K I I L I F Y, and the idea is we're helping cultures see eye to eye. Oh, so I love S-K-I-I-L-I-F-Y. it. S-K-I-I-L-I-F-Y. Um, but what's great is our first tool is called My Guide. 
So again, it's M-Y-G-I-I-D-E, myguide.com. <laughs> We've got this double I thing going, right? M-Y-G-I-I-D-E. But, but what's great on there is that I had mentioned earlier there's those that cultural agility has two parts. It's cultural awareness, but also cultural competencies. Mm-hmm. You can take the assessments for free. You can look up your, you know, assess your own values, compare them to different cultures. You can assess your competencies, learn how to build them. Um, it's a great resource. And That's so my entrepreneurial journey is still in motion and actually open, just opened a new chapter. How very fun. As you said that, I was like, where have I heard that? Are you guys advertising this? I feel like I've seen it somewhere. It, we're just starting to put it out there. Again, again like I said, it, it's just fairly recently um, recently formed. The developers built the tool. Uh, the tool is is wonderful. I mean, they really did such a beautiful job with it. So, um, but uh, I just was very fortunate that I had an angel investor who had the foresight to say, let's go ahead and, and make this public benefit. I love it. I'm going to check it out. Maybe I'll have my team do it as well, especially before we get them matched up with the, with other clients. I love it. Um, Paula, we're going to, I could talk to you all day because I think it's fascinating and I love what you're doing. Um, we're going to have all your contact information on our show notes, including links to your sites and your books, but in case somebody wants to look you up right now, including Skillify with two eyes, cause you see eye to eye. What's the best way for them to find you? What's the best way for them to find you? Sure. Probably the easiest way is LinkedIn. If, if you can spell my name, uh, that's the easiest way. I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn. You better spell your name out loud. Okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. I have way too many eyes in my life. <laughs> so uh, my first name is Paula, P-A-U-L-A, and my surname is C-A-L-I-G-I-U-R-I. And, uh, and it's pronounced Caligiri because we went over it before we started. <laughs> I love it. Well, before we go, Paula, do you have any last words, of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Yeah. Just remember the foundation of how trust is built. I mean, for me, that, that's been the most important thing with everything you're doing with it, sales, negotiation, communication. It's all about trust. Um, humans form trust in different ways, depending on how they've been socialized, but underlying it all is, do you see someone as, as authentic, real, and similar? So having those conversations that enable us to get to similarity is the easiest way to build trust and a skill that will will never do wrong. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, but also motivating us to remember what we can do to be more culturally agile. You have been a fantastic guest. My pleasure, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.